What is up, everybody? My name is Austin Buckner. Trevor Holder. And the beautiful boys were at Des Moines Con. Yeah. yeah. So you guys have already heard the Ming Chen episode that we recorded live on location. This is a uh, little bit different. So this is a, a non-celebrity in-booth uh, podcast recording. Uh, I shouldn't yep. say that because we did get to interview Iron Mike Dyson uh, and Ghostface from the Scream movies. So uh, it was <laughs> a celebrity-filled right. podcast. Um, but no, it was great. The whole idea um, going to the Moin Con was to uh, increase our social media following, increase our listenership. We have done both of those things. Um, and the idea behind putting podcast equipment in our booth was never to get Ming Chen uh, and Aunt Lucia to stop by the booth. It was always people walking by yeah. and be like, get over here, talk to us. We're strangers and uh, we got candy. And see, that was the crazy thing was the fact that, um, you know, when it finally set in that we were going to be doing this, I think our thoughts got away from us a little bit because we were like, what if we could get guests? What yeah. if we could get like Troy Baker or Amy Jo Johnson or David Yost? You know, any one of them. And then, uh, you know, I think we kind of got a bit more realistic about it and was like, okay, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So let's just hawk our cards out to yeah. everybody. And then, you know, sure enough, uh, Ming said yes, so... I think now that, look at us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look at us. Yeah. Who, who would have thought? <laughs> Not, <laughs> Not me. me. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Jesus Christ, I almost said put your dicks away. <laughs> uh, fuck, what is our thing? Oh, uh, sit back, <laughs> sit back, relax, and enjoy <laughs> this episode of the Ice Cream Sunday Podcast. I remember one one year my dad had come across a a DVD. Um and it was a very strange DVD. Mhm. I had gotten off of work. There was like a ring and a girl in a well and then he watched it 7 mm, days later. Honestly, like, that would be better. <laughs> um that weird, huh? I'm trying to... I, I struggle to think of the name. I want to say it's... Spare Change or Two Cents or something like that. Okay. So I'd gotten off of work. I got home and I was told about this DVD that my girlfriend at the time and my dad were watching. And um, at the beginning of the DVD, supposedly... You you left your girlfriend at the time alone with your dad to watch DVDs? Yeah, he was living with us for a little while. It's a bad idea. I know. The indoctrination. <laughs> <laughs> um, So, supposedly, and like I said, I was at work, so I had no idea. But both of them swear up and down. 
that when they threw in the DVD, there was a message that popped up that said, if you are found in possession of this DVD, um, you can be um, arrested and held for held and charged for treason. What? I swear to God, up and down. Like, this is what they told me. Why didn't they just show you the DVD? Because you haven't heard the most interesting part oh. of it. They're like, you need plausible deniability. <laughs> I didn't believe them. Okay. And it started making sense after they showed me the DVD. Because there's a DVD on 9-11. Ah. The strange part was they removed the DVD. They put it back in. No matter how they started it up, that message never popped up again. What? I know. I thought that was weird, too. And that just kind of led me to believe, like, no way. But... I can see my dad falling for something like that. But to have two people for me for me personally um and th- this is just a, a personal thing and and maybe it's very elementary um but when I see something like a TV show or a movie adapted from something that's already visual I, I like deviations from the source material. Let me give you an example, like The Last of Us, right? Yep. I don't need to see a shot-for-shot live remake of the video game because I've already I've already experienced the video game. I've already watched the video game multiple times, uh, for for lack of a better term. So when I'm when I'm watching the show, I don't need to see exactly how it happened in the uh, in the the video game because I've already I've already watched it. But when I watch, like, what's a good example of this? Um, like the <laughs> wa- the Watchmen movie, right? Yeah. So I haven't. I've seen it, obviously, in in drawings, right? I've seen it in the graphic novel. Yeah. But I haven't seen it acted out. I haven't seen it live yet. So I like the fact that the Watchmen was very. Um, was was very faithful to the source material and you actually see line for line exact uh exact script that you saw in the graphic novel you see shot for shot the same scene that you saw in the graphic novel and i like that because it's coming from something that's it's visual yes but you haven't already seen the the action play out you haven't already basically you know seen the scenes you, you've seen pictures and things like that drawings um but you haven't seen it played out and so I, I like when it maybe comes from a book or a graphic novel or something like that um to where it's it, it can be a little more faithful um shot for shot remake i guess for lack of a better term um when it is adapted into you know, a TV show or a movie, something like that. That's just my personal rule. Um, but I, I'm sure I could think of nine or 10 different examples that go against that rule as well. 
you you had mentioned starting with Magnum running a jib camera to in 2018 becoming director of operations to now after Strife's passing you're one of the the two new co-owners with TJ Benson how does that happen? Can you talk a little bit about, I, obviously I want to talk about professionally your relationship mm-hmm. with Strife, but can we go back and talk about personally your relationship and your friendship with Strife and how that blossomed over the years? Yeah. So uh, going back to that first show and like I said, um, I could tell that was like a show and that's just kind of the nature when you love the business as much as, you know, he and I do. And I do this to this day you kind of gatekeep in a way. Like when somebody wants to be involved, you kind of like, okay, are you just a fan trying to get, you know, an opportunity to be backstage and hang out with wrestlers and, you know, not really work hard, but just kind of show off, Hey, I'm part of the business now. I could tell he was kind of gauging that with me. Um, and that first show. So like that first interaction is very, it wasn't cold, but it was very like, Hey, how's it going? You, you got good work, you know, like, uh stick around Bubba you know and like okay cool I will um and just like show after show like I would just bring a new idea to the table or I would do a new graphic I would redo entrance videos I would put together interview pieces I would do all these things and and um I think you know over that and just just creative meetings that I had with Strife too he would tell me all the time, like, you, you just get it. And I think that really like resonated and clicked in him. Like, man, this, this kid really loves wrestling and it's not just fandom wrestling. Like he just loves it from top to bottom. Like I do, like he loves it. And he would tell me all the time, you're going to love it so much that you're going to hate it some days. And yes, I have. And we've bonded over that over the time too. But like we, just i think it was just our our passion we would just feed off each other's energy um we wouldn't settle for subpar we would be upset if something you know the littlest thing went wrong like for example if something went wrong in his match that nobody would even care about because it's jason strife you know like the guy was a showman through and through he would like miscount a step somewhere and it would eat at him the rest of the night I would be on that same token if we're doing a live stream and I flubbed up a camera angle or if I missed a cue somewhere, I would be thinking of, like, I would, I would go on, I would execute the rest of the night, but I would still be dwelling on that one moment. Um, We were just absolute perfectionists and we'd, we'd gather about it. We'd pick each other up and then we'd move on to the next show. We always dreamed big. We'd always like our, our bond was definitely magnum. And, you know, and it turned, it blossomed into this amazing friendship. And I think one of the biggest memories that I have with him, and I think, you know, sure, we were, you know, pretty good friends at this point too, but this goes to, I believe it was 20, 2016, was it, when WrestleMania was in Dallas? Mm-hmm. Um, yep, 2016. So um, he and I uh, went we didn't like travel together, but we basically attended all the WrestleMania events that week. That was the first time that I got to be a fan. And he was even a fan that weekend too. We sat up in a suite in AT&T stadium. We, we didn't even have tickets to WrestleMania mind you until the day of, we got these awesome sweet tickets. 
low price. We go up there. We're drinking, you know, very overpriced liquor the entire night, having a blast. And that was like the time that we got to bond as, you know, you know, fans. And and that's where I really feel like, hey, man, we're really good friends. Like we're just like dogging on things. But actually, like we marked out when Shawn Michaels came out in his gear like literally him and I jumped out of our seats and we're like, he's in his care. <laughs> and to see that side of Jason strife means the world to me because that dude, he, he had a tough exterior. Like he respected the business, but he also knew he could be a fan when he could be a fan. And he didn't really let a lot of people into his, you know, personal and private life. And if you were on that side of his personal private life, man, you, meant the world to him if i can be honest i i would assume he has like a woodsy yeah i don't know like, like a, a rich like a mahogany teak wood yeah yeah, yeah Smell, some, something real woodsy smells leather and mahogany yeah yeah I, just, I could see that for him he seems like a proper gentleman he is oh yeah yeah he's hilarious too was he oh he was fantastic we were in Rachel Lee Cook's line, yeah, on not yesterday. I'm getting my days all messed around. Let's see, Saturday, and we had the pleasure of be having a direct line of sight to Giancarlo and his interactions with each person. It wasn't just a quick sign, thanks, or a quick picture, thanks. Like he actually took the time to have a you know, mini conversation. Did he did he do like a panel or was it just like a meet and greet? So we skipped out on his panel because I don't know. Me personally, I didn't feel like I needed to go to the panel. Mm-hmm. But I that actually to. it right. But <laughs> it did work out to our advantage because we got there fairly early in line for the meet and greets mm-hmm. for his last like round of meet and greets. Oh, okay. And so yeah. that was our last opportunity be- to be able to have our Mandalorian helmet signed that we had 3D printed um, by Mr. Corey Bone. <laughs> Boom. He's the one that printed that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That was he, his first time. He You know what? Time out for a second. Uh this is actually going to come out before the anniversary episode, but the anniversary episode yep. we talked about who we wanted to have on as guests. Yep. Corey, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Anyway. Yes. So you got that signed by who? Giancarlo. Oh, duh. He, yeah. Moff Gideon. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it was it was cool because we had that 3D printed uh, for our baby announcement of Caden. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to be able to kind of carry that through of here's going to be this thing that's... That's very cool. That's going to be signed. Yeah. Yeah. Was he impressed with it? Yeah, he loved it. And we showed him pictures of the announcement and, and, and of, of Caden, of course, because um, when I was talking, we were waiting in line. We So there was a section of the line that was gotten through when we were waiting, of course. And then all of a sudden he had to take a production call. Oh. And so he was gone going to be on for at least 20 minutes. Like he's fucking important or something. Right. So <laughs> Better call Saul is over. Breaking bad, <laughs> you died. Get over it. So we were the first people that were going to be, you know, head of the line when he got back from that production yeah. call. So then like 
I was just being my normal self and chatting with the Planet Comic Con volunteer who was there, mm-hmm. who coincidentally happens to do Ren fairs and everything else, and then also the agent. Um, I had noticed that when the agent came back by, well, waiting for Giancarlo's meeting to be over, kind of came back to hang out and pulled some stuff out of her bag and put it down at Giancarlo's spot. It was a couple of Lindor truffles and a couple other pieces of chocolate. <laughs> so That's I, awesome. I said to her, I was like, hey, are those, those the treats that help him kind of move along through the day? And she bust up laughing. was like, don't, you can't learn my secrets for this. So... I mean, I got to know them and and just have some friendly conversation while I showed them, you know, pulled out the helmet and said, yeah, our friend 3D printed this. They're like, you can get these 3D printed? And we're like, yeah, it was really, really cool. And we said we used it for our baby announcement. I showed the picture and their immediate answer or immediate question response was, where's the baby? And I, I, I'm sorry, but here's a picture of the baby. And they both were like, oh, and the agent said, John Carlo loves a good baby. So we, we knew we would. Eating them. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so I went, once we got the helmet sign or we got the helmet set down to sign i was looking at the pictures and i was like well it'd be really cool to have one of his photos as moff gideon to display with it so i asked like hey could we have one of the pictures or you know how how, basically how much for a picture um like just the picture doesn't have to be signed and she's like oh you can just take one and it's all because heather talked them up and so not only did we get to take the picture, as we were, you know, I had it in my hands and we were just chatting, all of a sudden, as I'm talking to this agent, she sticks her hand out. And I'm like, what? She took the picture back from me and went and slid it under the helmet to also be signed by him. Usually per, so got a freebie. Yeah, per item, it's $80 to get signed. So we got a free $80 thing. So that was really cool. You know what pisses me off is that, like fucking every episode of Meatless Monday, you're like, I have anxiety and I'm shy. And then here you are, the most charismatic fucking person. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Okay. Has there been conversations that you wanted to have on like a Wednesday or Thursday? And you're like, nope, I'm going to save it for Sunday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All, all the, time. the time, right? All the time. You're like, oh, fuck, I want to talk about this thing with Trevor, but I... I might as well just keep it for Sunday. And even then, like I'll still blurt out whatever I wanted to like hold on to and talk about. And then it's just like, fuck, like I, I exhausted that, but I'm also that kind of person that like, you can make this as, as comparable as, as possible. But like when I get someone a gift, I want to give it to them then. Oh, like, I yeah. don't, I don't want to, I don't want to wait. I, I, I want that immediate, like, like I want you, I want you to see this. I, like, I'm excited for you to have this, and that's kind of the same way with uh, having something to talk about with the podcast. Because, mm-hmm. like, I want to talk about it, and I just I can't, and I'm afraid, as far as conversations go, that I'm gonna lose it before uh, we get to that, or. You know, if I blurt it out too soon, then it's not going to have the same weight, you know? So I feel the same way about publishing the podcast because, like, it's already been two weeks, two and a half weeks since we we recorded. Um, 
an episode about like getting outside of your comfort zone. And, and we talk about like me doing pro wrestling and music and you doing stand-up comedy and what we would want to do, like, um, like jumping out of an airplane and, and traveling and all of these things. Yep. Basically, getting outside your comfort zone is the, the topic of the podcast. We recorded that weeks ago, and it'll be another couple weeks before we publish it because there are other episodes that we're putting out that are more timely. Like we have to put the anniversary episode out on the anniversary. You just went to a Kansas city uh, convention, comic book convention. So that makes sense to put that one out next. And so this one keeps getting pushed further and further back. I get that same way. I record a podcast or an episode that I think is really, really good. And then I'm like, motherfucker, I can't wait for everyone else to hear this. And I get so excited um, about it. Um, the the Logan Davis one that we just, at the time of this recording, it's the most recent episode. It came out yesterday at the time of this recording. I recorded that on Tuesday night and then just sat on it for like four days, five days before I re- uh, released it. And I was so excited to get that one out because like I said, love Logan, love Magnum Wrestling. Um, awesome conversation. So speaking of like multiple girls that I had talked to or hooked up with in the same building, Mm -hmm. my 2007 Young Musicians of the Midwest Music Festival experience, not the craziest one of those stories. All right, all right, so, all right. I know this went from comfort zones, but yeah, now fuck it. It was I was out of my comfort zone, and then I got real into a comfort zone, a vagina. Um, Whoa! My junior, no, my senior year of college. Okay. I had been dating the same girl. Her name's Kristen. Since okay, obviously, I mean, school starts in August. I had dated her October of twenty or two thousand seven when I first got there. All the way up through my senior year. And then we broke up in November of 2010. So I dated her for over three years. Most of college, right? So we had broken up. We had split. And I'm with another girl that I'm just like dating. Wanting to start a new relationship with. Sure. Um, I take her out to a bar. And it's Maryville, Missouri. 10,000, so like the size of Creston, right? So there's like yeah. three bars, right? Little college town. Oh, Every, yes, they were all right next to each of other. Of course, of course. <laughs> so we go to this nightclub. I go up to the bar to get her a drink. She's with me, this redheaded girl. Honest to God, don't even remember her name at this point. Um, But we had been seeing each other for like just a few weeks. The redhead? Yes, just a few weeks. Um, is it? No, 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 no. Okay. No, 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 no. No, this is a girl inconsequential got it yeah um you'll see why but so we'd only been together for like a few weeks she's with me she's like on my arm we're having a great time it looks like we're a couple it's so adorable we're getting a drink in front of me Kristen turns around my longtime girlfriend and she is like i can't fucking believe you like and she got really cocky, which is not her. She was like a good Catholic schoolgirl. She was one of the types that was like, I've never even held hands with a boy before I met you. I'm saving myself for marriage. Um, that didn't happen. But saving myself for marriage, like a good 
hearted person. And that night she got so fucking cocky and went basically went like um, Sandy in Greece, just fucking bad bitch attitude. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, look at me, then look at her. Like, this is the fucking girl that you're leaving me for. And like a light bulb just went off on my head and I'm like, yeah, you're right. What the fuck am I doing? And then I left the redhead at the bar, went home with Kristen, slept together, dated her another six months. What the (laughs) fuck? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's fucking wild. Yeah. What? Yeah. He had put in his dating profile that his biggest kink was hot past and I had no idea what that was, so he had to explain it to me. And me being, you know, the the weirdly naive, oblivious person that I am on occasion, did not realize what was happening. And we got to talking about our pasts and how many people we'd been with, things that we enjoyed, stuff we we liked or didn't like or whatever. And at one point in the conversation, he goes, oh, you got me so hard talking about how many people you've slept with. And I'm like, excuse me, sir? No, I'm not a kink dispenser, for one. Uh, For two, what? And he didn't didn't insert a quarter or anything? (laughs) No, no. One of those vibrate beds. A a gumball didn't pop out or anything? I'm just picturing (laughs) Catherine's head popping off and the pass comes out. Insert a insert a quarter in between your boobs. A gumball pops out. Okay, so so we had that conversation, and then I just like ghosted him for a week, and then I randomly get a message from him, and he asked me if I had had any luck finding a new partner for a DS relationship, and I told him no, haven't really had any luck with that. Have Have you? Had any luck finding anybody that suits your kink? And he goes, oh, my God, I didn't realize that you would even remember. Is DS uh, Dom sub? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You you sexy people in your abbreviations. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He was like, no, and I didn't think that you would even remember what my kink was. So thanks for that. And I'm like, yeah, no problem, whatever. And we got to talking again, and, and we were... I was talking about one thing in particular. I don't remember what it was, but then he just, and I don't, I don't know what possessed him to do this, but he texts me. I just came and I'm just like, all right, you know what? Motherfucker. Not only do I remember your king, I'm telling hundreds of people. Right. Yeah. And the he thing got is, you twice. I don't, I don't remember his name even. <laughs> and so at this point I was mad and I'm like, you know what? Here's the thing. I, I like talking to you. You're not a bad person, but if you treat me like a kink dispenser again, I'm going to charge you $500 for the privilege. So the original story, uh, for those of you that don't know, is that uh, my dad had come across this guy who made his own jerky uh, over in Earlham. Um, I can't remember what, what the store name was that he ran it out of. It could have been Fairway for all I know. Um. But he basically ran it out of the back of the store where he'd cut it up and get it seasoned and, and essentially make it there and then sell it out the back. And um, 
every time I go, my dad would make a trip up to Earlham, he'd he'd grab a bag and it was f- fucking bananas. Um, and then for a while, um, the guy didn't make it anymore because he was caught and um essentially told hey this is illegal you can't make this anymore without the proper uh, licensing and certifications because you know it's just some dude food safety laws and all yeah that. yeah exactly and i i don't know if he got those licenses or certifications or, or whatever which is why the legality is a gray area uh, yep uh, but somehow my dad found out the guy was making more or had made more, got some, charged me $22 for those three bags. Um, my brother and sister both, tr- uh, have tried it. Do not want to eat more of it. And so that leaves me with three vacuum sealed bags of very thinly sliced uh, jerky. Tender, delicious, burn your mouth and your ass jerky. And you want more, right? I do. But you're going to regret it, right? Probably not. This is off topic. Yeah. But you had mentioned your babysitter and it made me think of like when you were a child mm-hmm. and I wanted to let you know that yesterday, yesterday as of the recording of this podcast, I saw Angela Johnston, who's yeah, yeah. now Angela... Handy? Handy. Yes. She was an exhibitor at Middle of the Map Tattoo oh, Convention. Yeah. Okay. okay. So she was like, it's so fucking weird hearing Trevor's voice on the podcast. <laughs> she goes, he and I used to ride the bus together. Yeah. And now he's a fully formed adult. And I was like, well, yeah, he's 34 years old. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it's supposed <laughs> to happen. She was like, it's so weird. Like hearing you guys talk about like adult stuff. Cause like, I, I remember she was like, I remember, you know, riding the bus with Trevor and like, obviously her family and my family are intertwined. I briefly dated her sister. And so like, it's so weird. It's so weird to see her as well. Like, She's a fucking she's a little businesswoman now. Like yeah. she has a small business. It's so fucking cool to see my friends like doing awesome shit. So it's it's funny because I I don't ever remember having prolonged um exchanges with Angela. Mm-hmm. But it it's nice to know like she specifically is like I remember this and like yeah. it never it never connects with me like on that kind of thing. Right? Well, I had like I had friends that I knew were going to be there. Like like Abby Warner, who we've had on the podcast. Yeah. And um, so I knew that I was going to have some friends there. So I knew that there's people that I had to go see their booths. Sure. She was not one of them. I didn't know that she was going to be there with exude beards. And she was like, it's so weird running into you. And I go, why? She goes, I just listened to your podcast for the first time this past week. That's and I was cool. like, that's awesome. I was like, what episode did you listen to? And she's like, I'm not sure what number it was, but it had to do with sex. And I was like, Oh, well, that doesn't narrow it down at all. I was like, the entire the entire show for the last year has been mental illness and my dick. Like, pick an episode. Like, you're you're gonna hit you're gonna hit one. So my my friend Dakota uh, sent me this. He was the only one that emailed it, so he's the only one that followed the fucking the directions. Uh, everyone else just sent him in the the group chat. So <laughs> let me see if I can even find it. Um, he said. I got a little long-winded. This is a five-minute story. So here we fucking go. Hey, what's up, Ice Cream Sunday Podcast? My name is Dakota Stricker. 
I'm going to go with the most cliche of all cliche sayings in history and say I am a longtime listener, first time caller. My God, that just made me cringe out of my soul. (laughs) But anyway, how I found the podcast, I'm friends with Austin, which how we met is a pretty interesting story. I wouldn't say it's funny or anything like that, um, but it is a worthy anecdote. Uh, We worked at the same place over in Carroll, Iowa. We worked at a call center for for a uh, home warranty company. But anyway, the re- how we met was we were in the same training class. He was in the customer service department. Oh, he was slightly warranty. above mm-hmm. me um, handling hey, like escalated broken. calls. I can't remember the exact title of it. But anyway, one day in that training class, I came in with a uh, Kenny Omega hoodie. And we kind of just yep. hit it off on of course. talking about wrestling and all that, basically from the get-go. Um, plus, we also he was also making jokes and all that with one of my close friends who actually was in that training class. Didn't know he got the job out there, which was hilarious when I walked in and saw him sitting there. Um, sadly, he unfortunately passed away a couple years back. Um, but anyway, my story with how I came to really know Austin was when we first got out onto the actual work floor, taking calls and all that after like a few weeks of training. And I couldn't tell you how ill prepared I was. I was completely unrepaired to be handling customer service calls at that point in time. Um, It gave me honestly to God, it gave me really bad anxiety for that whole like week of taking the first calls. Um, The first the reason happens the first day, the uh, kid that was I was uh, teamed up with He was answering the phones and getting all of these softball ass questions, all all these softball (laughs) ass questions and calls and all that. And he's just getting the easiest calls in all the world. And then I I hop on for my first call thinking, okay, well, if this is how it is, then it's I don't think this job's gonna be too difficult. And then, of course, the first call I get was a lady absolutely fucking screaming bloody murder. Dakota had an escalation like right away. (laughs) I think at the I remember that call vividly. She wanted to be reimbursed for using it outside a company that we didn't pre-approve first. Yep. Which nowadays would be an easy call for me to take, but at the time I was very unprepared for it. It quite honestly shell shocked the absolute hell out of me. I pretty much when that uh, first day ended, I actually was in the training room like crying because I didn't think I could handle the job. I remember this. So, so as the week goes on. I don't, I just, I use all the allotted time that they gave me, us in the training class, and I I just didn't go. Like, I was like, I don't know how to handle this or anything. But I sat through it that weekend, and then the next week, I went back and still attempted to do the job. Um, Same old, same old. I would get a few easy calls that kind of settled me in, but then I would get more escalated calls and would rattle me. I remember quite a few times there were some calls that I was tearing up after because I just was so stressed and anxietyed out. I don't know if I can handle it. But anyway, one one day after that second week, I remember my supervisor sat down with me and said, hey, I'm going to sit you with, I'm going to sit Austin with you. He's going to hear you take calls and offer feedback on what you can do differently and see what we can do to help you feel more comfortable. And so... He, that, he did it that day or the next day, I believe. Either way, it was shortly after that. 
he sat with me and then we took some calls. But the thing that really settled me into the job was after one where he looked right at me and said, hey, if you talk to these customers the way you talk to me, I feel like you would be a lot better at it and you'd be able to handle it more. But that's what I always remembered was him telling me that if you talk to them like you talk to me, you'll be fine. And that always stuck with me. And that was always something that I kept in mind. And now I'm five years at this company. And I believe I told Austin this uh, story a few years back when, or a few years, a few months back, back in like January, I believe, when it hit that I was there for five years. But anyway, I just wanted to share that story, how we met, um, and kind of the impact Austin had on my life. Because my life would be completely different if I believed that anxiety was and stress was too much for me to handle at the start of that job. Who knows where the hell I'd be. So thank you, Austin. I'll keep listening. And uh, you guys are great. Keep doing, keep, uh, keeping up the good work. Oh, Austin had a positive impact. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's <laughs> rare do from time to time. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's rare. Um, yes, I do remember this quite vividly. Um, so I, I started working at this home warranty company and you kind of giggled at that and like your house is broken. So, um, I, I, I'm not going to say the company that we worked for, the company that Dakota works for. I don't know if I would use that company specifically, but a home warranty is a good idea in theory. So you have your home insurance, right? So homeowner's insurance. If your house burns down or gets struck by lightning or something happens catastrophic, um, that covers you for repairs, that sort of thing. Your home warranty covers you if your, your refrigerator goes out, your plumbing goes out, that sort of thing. So it's not a bad product to have. And a lot of times when you, when you buy a new home, uh, your realtors, one of the things that, that my department did was when I first started working there is we would, uh, partner with real estate agents and they would, they would partner with, uh, um, like their companies, they would partner with us and they would buy a one-year trial warranty for their uh, their homeowners. So if anything happens in the first year, you're covered. Um, so it is a great product. I don't sure. know if I would use the company that I work for, but uh, in theory, it's a, it's a great product. Um, I worked there for probably nine months to a year, and I got asked to leave the department that I was in, which was escalations. So it was higher than customer service. They would pass them on to us. We would talk and we would have multiple phone calls with the homeowner to, to resolve the, the problem. More than just one customer service call could. Um, so uh, when I got that job, they asked me to basically be sort of the manager of that department or... Um, like a team, a team lead, basically, basically a manager, whatever you want to call it. Um, I had the experience in these escalated calls. So higher level of customer service, basically. So I could take my experience that I've had over the last nine months to a year and pass that on to people that were just coming in as new customer service representatives. So I had to go back to training for two weeks, um, and, and basically sit in with these new hires. Right. So Dakota was one of them. And yeah, like you said, kicked it off right away. Um, I noticed his Kenny Omega, the cleaner hoodie. 
he noticed at the time I had a uh, tiger mask um, because Mitsuhara Masawa was one of my favorite wrestlers. It was a tiger mask phone case. And he was like, is that fucking tiger mask? And I was like, is that fucking Kenny Omega? Um, so right away, we were the best of friends because when you <laughs> when you live in a small town, you search for those people that those very few people that have the same hobbies as you. So, yeah. Um, and Dakota was just super, super nervous uh, right out the gate. And yeah, I just remember that conversation. I was just like, hey, man, like, you and I have this this great rapport, and if, if you just like talk to me and, and treat these people like they're they're people, not customers, not you know, uh, just you know, someone that has an issue, someone that's yelling at you, sit down and talk to them like you know, like like you're their friend and you just want to help them. Um, like it's it's gonna go so much smoother for you. And uh, yeah, he took my advice, and like he said, he's been with that company for five years, and I'm, I'm glad that I could play. That's a sm- awesome. Yeah, I'm glad that I could play a very small role in. Um, you know, helping him find a, a career that clearly he's thriving at. Um, that dude's one of my, my best friends in the whole world. If you remember, I don't know if I remember, uh, if I said this or not, there was one person that was very, very important to me that didn't show up to my wedding. Not my mother. Uh, it was Dakota. And the reason that he wasn't at my wedding is because he got married that same night. Oh. So yeah, super, super cool. So um, yes, Dakota. I love you. Should you should have had like a FaceTime with him. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been cool. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you're doing well. I mean, yeah. I mean, no, I, I definitely know how it feels because we actually had to kick somebody out of our wedding um, just two days before the wedding because we had um, a bachelor, uh, a mixed bachelor bachelorette party um, the night before. Well, not the night before, but or yeah, no, the night before the wedding. And his cousin decided to, for whatever reason, get super drunk and think that um, my husband's best friend was saying shit to him. And because my husband's best friend is black, he decided to start bringing color and race into this. And he was out there like, um, you know, like, because our our friends, they came up from North Carolina. They were inside with their not even one year old baby. We were all hanging out inside. He was outside, like having this whole drunken kind of fit thing. And because he was trying to hook up with my friend at the party, yeah. which, you know, whatever is the bachelor, bachelor, bachelorette party. They were both single. He was getting ready to join the army, which um, did not bode well for him. He had to leave because he has a bad back because um, he thought joining the army in his 30s was going to be a great idea and fix all of his problems. That's why they have an age limit at 35. Those fucking He's like 30 t- he's like 31 32. Oh god. So, um, yeah, he decided to do that. He was trying to hook up with her. They were doing a whole bunch of making out thing. We were just kind of like, yeah, like and she was trying to ask for advice. So that's what we were inside doing. And he thought we were inside bashing him. Hmm. But not just us, just my husband's best friend, which was not a thing at all. So, you know, we went out, I, you know, we went out, I went out there and I saw him getting mad and I came back inside to, cause my friend was getting ready to come back outside. And I was like, Hey, no, I think you need to stay in here. Mm-hmm. And my husband's best friend, he's like, well, well, what, well, why what's going on? I'm like, you know, I'm like Blaine's cousin. I'm like my husband's cousin. He's like, he's having, you know, some issues. Like he thinks you said something. So what does my husband's best friend do? Go to go outside and be like, yo, you know, like what's going on? Cause my husband's best friend is also a correctionals officer. Oh mm. shit. And all he goes is comes outside, sees him getting very belligerent and loud with um, my in-laws and my sister-in-law. And so what does he do? His corrections officer, you know, sidekicks in, goes up, grabs him around from the back to pull him away and restrain him until he calms down. 
that did not happen. He lost it. He shoved him onto the ground and I got in between and me being only, you know, five, three decided to get in between these two big men that work out consistently. And like, if you're going to hit him, you're going to have to go through me. No, no, no other punches were thrown, but it got to the point where the next day my, my husband's best friend's wife was like, if he's going to be at the wedding, we will not be. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, no, no, we understand. So we had to uninvite him the day before. Mm-hmm. And then what does he do as the wedding starts? Puts me and my husband in a group chat on Facebook and starts going off about how he's so sorry and how he doesn't want to ruin our day. He doesn't want to make it about him and that he hopes we have a great day. And then because we're not responding, continues to write a paragraph about mm-hmm. how sorry he is. Mm-hmm. And how he doesn't want to take away from that day and we hope we enjoy ourselves. I'm like, it's kind of hard to when you're blowing up our phones, my dude. So basically the whole backstory behind Jumping the Shark is um, the the show had essentially run its course, right? Yeah. And they needed to bring back viewers or have a big exciting moment. And so the idea was they get Henry Winkler, the fonts, yeah. uh, to ride on skis being pulled by a boat, and then jump over a shark. Well, that's gotcha. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We're, yeah, we're so, oh, no, don't apologize. <laughs> so so that show came up with that phrase. It, yeah. It's amazing. Interesting. I thought Jump the Shark came from... Uh, uh, never mind. Jimmy John. Do you, guys know the, do you guys know the Jimmy John story? No. no. Okay, I just recently heard this, but apparently there were some allegations going around last year that... Jimmy John was out in the ocean and he found a shark and he was naked and he was on top of the shark and it got like some press he coverage. Fuck the shark? Um he might he, he allegedly allegedly <laughs> might have fucked a shark. But he was on top of it like not like he was like sharks don't have blowholes, do they? No. I don't know, but he was on top of. I don't fucking know. It's a shark. Are you thinking of a whale? How many or sharks dolphin? have I seen? No, I don't know. But he was like <laughs> on the shark, and like there was pictures going around of him on a shark, and maybe that's how. We... I'm I'm very afraid of like marine life. Like the yeah, ocean scares the shit. The ocean sucks. So I don't know enough about it because I'm like, well, I'm terrified of it. So why yeah. would I study it? So if, if you spoke with confidence and you were like, sharks. Not blowholes. I'd be like, I mean, they yeah, might. Of course they do. Yeah, why wouldn't they? I mean, of what? course. Yeah. No. That makes sense. Is that a, that's a mammal thing, isn't it? It is. That's a, okay, dolphins well. and sharks. Dolphins have blowholes. Yeah. Dolphins and yeah, dolphins. Because they're mammals. Sharks are fish, and fish are stupid. It's fish are friends. Fucking, no, they're not. not food. <laughs> going back to... <laughs> going back to the fact that, like, actors can make a million dollars an episode, and the writers get a fraction of that when really the writers are, are the ones that make the actors look good and the actors are just saying writers lines. Um, it reminds me of, so this is a different kind of writing. This is speech writing, but Obama, right. Commonly known as like the most eloquent speaking president in a long time. Probably the coolest. Yeah. And just like cool as fuck. Did you ever listen to any of the episodes of the podcast that he had with, uh, Michelle, that too but specifically the podcast that he had with bruce springsteen no yeah i didn't know that was a thing boring as fuck is it like it's it's one of those things where it's like 
you can you can get up there and you can have the look and you can have like a little bit of swagger, but like if you don't have the right words to say, it's I gotcha. You know what I'm okay, saying? Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. that's the point I'm trying to make. It's like he doesn't have his you know fucking awesome writing team behind him, yeah. and it's just kind of kind of falls flat. And it's like you were like the most engaging, like captivating dude to watch speak. Like even before he was president, I think it was 2000. 2006 well i mean what does he have to work for at this point you know well yeah i mean he kind of he kind of peaked at being president and then after, like why like why yeah. you know yeah. he, like he doesn't need to be more famous he doesn't need to be in the spotlight and i don't think he really wants to be oh god i wouldn't want to like he he did his thing and whether you liked him or or not i wouldn't want to because like half the country no matter what you do hates every decision like I I don't agree with I don't agree with much of what George Bush George W Bush did in his presidency but man I I can't I can't do anything but respect the way that he is just like taking himself out of the limelight he's like I'm just going to go fucking paint like you know what I mean like uh half the country like fucking hates you half the country thinks that you are uh responsible for 911 um probably in that half Forgive me if I have this story wrong, yeah. but you had a chance to meet Kevin after you created a fan website for Clerks. Is yes, that correct? That's correct. So I didn't see that movie until I was an adult. Okay, which my, for my grandparents' sake, uh, <laughs> probably a good thing. I guess. Um, I I didn't see that movie until I was an adult after I'd already worked retail. Right. Okay. So very much like Office Space, you see that movie after you've worked oh, at yeah. offices yep. and you're like, oh man, it's so relatable. Yeah, they nailed it. So you, you created this fan site for clerks. What did that movie mean to you? So I was working, I was in college and I was working at a video store, kind of crappy video store. And we only got like one copy of every movie to rent out. So, sure. uh, you know, if that if the hit movie got rented out really early in the day, all night you'd be like, "Hey, is that is Jurassic Park in? No, it's rented out. It's Jurassic Park in. It's out <laughs> all day." I was like, "Why, bro?" I to get, you know, I hit up my boss like, "Why don't we get like five copies?" Like, "Oh, it's too expensive. I don't want to. I don't want five copies." Like, if you bought more, you would rent more and make more money. Uh, it turned out he was a he was a raging drug addict. I found out <laughs> later, so it didn't really matter to him. It was a great job in as much as I knew he would stop in every night at like nine to get the whatever we made that day, and he would leave so we could just we could goof off till nine p.m. But that being said, uh, you know, I, I, I got exposure to Clerks because it came in one day. The UPS guy dropped it off so we could rent it out. Yeah. And instead of checking it into the system, I took it home and watched it. And it, <laughs> it, it literally changed my life. So, but, you know, it kind of, I, and, and I, I related to, I worked a number of crappy dead end jobs. Yeah. Uh, I was like Dante. I was going to college, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I had no idea. Everyone was like. What do you want to major in? Like, I is there a major for for like playing Legend of Zelda? Because I want to do that. <laughs> or is there a major for reading the entire run of West Coast Avengers? Because I could do that too. That's re- literally all I wanted to do is read comics and play video games for the rest of my life. And you know, there was right no. Here, I still right? do, I have Tears of the Kingdom in my bag right yeah, now. Right. So. Yeah. And you know, they didn't have. You couldn't. There was no video game or uh, esports major like they have now. Uh, 20, 30 years later. So, so, um, but yeah, I, I watched Clerks and I was like, this guy, whoever whoever made this is awesome. Yeah, his dialogue is. I've never seen a movie where the characters talked like me and my friends did. You know, usually the movie dialogue it was Hollywood dialogue. It was scripted and like people don't talk like this. Yeah. They only talk like this in the movies. 
But in Clerks, they talked like me and my friends did, uh, arguing about changing toilets on the Death Star. <laughs> like, that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I channeled my fandom into making a fan website, uh, fan Clerks website, and Kevin saw it and called me. So That's um, awesome. Yeah, and that's that, that started the whole journey, for sure. One thing that you had posted on, on Facebook after you had announced your retirement from fighting, one thing that I really wanted to ask you about was you you made kind of a, a comment in jest about, you know, pretty good athletic career for a kid that, you know, um, wasn't supposed to, to walk or talk. Um, talk about that. What did you mean by that? Um, okay, so as I think most people know, I have a kid that's a freaking miracle. Yeah. Um, so actually, I'm definitely not supposed to be alive. Um, my mom had cancer when she was pregnant with me and had a tumor on the backside of her ovary. And they actually pretty much told her, you need to abort this or, I mean, could be death deadly. Um, so my mom's stubborn, obviously didn't cause I'm here. Thank, thank God, mom. Um, <laughs> and then like going through the school system, just wasn't supposed to ever get anything. Um, Kanye Lundy actually told my mom in sixth grade, I would never graduate high school. Um, doctors told both my parents, I'd probably never walk and talk. And it's just one of those things that from the beginning, it was never supposed to be this life, which has hoped because now I just feel blessed to have this life. But, um, yeah, just all the way through, um, was grade school, get told I wasn't supposed to, you know, get through high school. And then, I mean, even some of my best friends never thought I'd get through college and graduated college and just kept doing things that wasn't supposed to happen. And, you know, at the end of it, I'm thankful for sports. I want to have my college degree. I want to have such respect for a lot of people. But also, I just want to have had the experiences that life has offered because of sports. So, you know, got experience in national title at Iowa Western. Got experience what Badrand College Program was like at Graceland. And got feel the real martial arts vibe of the highest highs and the lowest lows, which, you know, at the end of it, which I guess I shouldn't say career because I plan to do chits, but to end it on at least BKFC knew who I was, had the contract signed, obviously different plans. It's not, not ending up bad. Um, no, not bad know, at all. Yeah. Um, this might be more personal than you want to get into, but um, you know, you're, you're a father now. And I think I, I read that your baby was in the hospital for six months Yeah, after yep. she was born. Um, can you tell, talk a little bit about kind of the being an inspiration to your, your child? I feel like a lot of the health issues that you went through as a baby um, to, to be where you are now is just an inspiration for your child to, um, I mean, my, my, my kid, my second child spent 10, 10 days in the NICU and it felt like forever. Yeah. I can't imagine six months. And then you're going to, I mean, Lord willing, you're going to watch that kid grow up to be something yeah. very, very special. And, um, you know, you, you got to get to identify with her in that way. Um, being through what you've been through, 
you talk a little bit about that? And then I also wanted to ask you, you know, with uh, the mental, the physical, the emotional grind of, of martial arts, how that helped you in those six months being in the hospital with your baby? Um, so, I mean, it's, it's definitely life changing. Um, obviously the first day it happened, uh, Pumachka woke up from a nap and Caitlin's like, we need, we need to go hospital on bleeding and find out roughly that we're going to have a baby in Greenfield hospital probably. And well, I don't trust Greenfield hospital with a bandage. So I was like, oh shit, this is not good. Um, but thank God the doctor talked, talked the um, nurses into transporting her up to Mercy. And as crazy as it was, um, I'm so thankful for it. Uh, I think first thing I ever heard doctors say was probably 10% chance your kid's going to live. And it's like, oh, I think you're probably wrong on this. Um, but... It, it forced me to rely on other people, which I think was maybe the lesson through all this mm -hmm. was I got to, I had to trust the doctor. I had to trust these nurses. I didn't know anything. Um, didn't have time to prepare for her dad. So she came at 23 weeks, The found out at about eight weeks. Um, and honestly, the first probably 10 weeks of it, I didn't think she was even gonna come. Um, before this, I actually carried three, had three miscarriages before this. So in my mind, just gonna be another miscarriage, you know, is, is what, so just no real time to think about, you know, even being a father. Mm -hmm. But then to see like how good those doctors worked and just seeing how good like the nurses were and, trying to keep even the craziest situation into like a positive light was life-changing. Uh, yeah, the first match was J uh, Josh C versus Airwolf, which was very, very, very good way to open, a very, very fantastic way to open the show. Like those two, because those two guys had history already because they're both like, they were both in Minneapolis. And then, yep. so and then we uh, we had, I think another match was like, we had like, uh, uh, what's this? Why has his name escaped me? Dante Martin is yeah, on, was on yeah. the show. But he was uh he had a different name at the time. He was uh uh on Hill Dale, yeah, yes, uh yes. the Oro or whatever. Yeah. Um yeah. Angel of uh Yeah. So so Angel so so like that. that show that show was the first time they ever took their mask off. I was gonna ask you about that. Yeah, and they like I I didn't know what was happening. Like I I I told guys like, hey, this is your match. Who this is who's going over? Just do whatever you want. I don't care. Like just do they didn't, your, do they your didn't thing. talk to you about that nope. at all. I said just do your thing. I, I, well so that being a surprise even to you talk about that like that's a big deal like two masked wrestlers voluntarily yeah. taking their mask off um airwolf is known like especially in minneapolis and for mm -hmm. first wrestling he was uh he beat eric cannon he was the first wrestling champion he was i mean that dude was pegged as like the next big indie star yeah. so for him to shed that character on your show Talk about that. Like, how I, I, big is that? For because you? because I was so busy and so tired running around, I didn't even know that it happened until after I watched the show back. And then Manning told me, like, hey, this is the first time he's taking his mask off. I'm like, man, the fact that he did that at my show, like, made it like another... And like another moment that like probably my favorite of the show was the fact that I was able to get a, a, boo, a boo black one involved, a boo colossus. Mm -hmm. Like, because I've, I've been a fan of a boo for like forever. I like, I, like, I love it. But he's like, because he's, he's, like, he's, like, he's like my situation, but in Omaha, where mm -hmm. he's one of the only black guys that, on the shows. And I was like, man, like, it's great that the fact that 
he didn't wrestle a match, but he was able to come in and like do a segment, like because I I feel like a lot of indie shows don't have those kind of segments where like this guy just comes in, just destroys somebody, and walks away. Because we had a guy James, I forgot his name, James Thames or something. He came out talking about protesting the show. Let's like, call Black Wrestling Matter. Blah, blah blah. He came out with a mic megaphone talking crap. A boot comes out like, hey man, you got to go. You know, you know, boot got to get out of here. He, he, he's a like, grandpa. It's called Black Wrestling Matter, not Black Grandpa's Matter. And the boot's like, okay, well, see ya. And he just murders him. So good. And uh, like, like that was probably one of my favorite moments of the show. And like, say we just had like we were able to donate three thousand dollars to a charity. Like a black, so there's a guy uh, I told you about, B. Yep. Well, Billy Weathers. He has a she had a charity called uh, Knowledge is Power, where like it helps like uh, kids in like lower income, lower income communities get mm-hmm. like supplies and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. That was probably like one of my favorite my favorite things to do is like, cause especially with me growing up in Chicago. Like I mean, we were poor, so like the the fact that like there's charities around that helps helps kids like me when I was younger like get supplies and like stuff like that. That's that was like that was probably the biggest thing for me like to be able to donate money to them because like I, I love doing stuff like that. Context. If I'm going out on a date, I will go all out. Yeah. Nice shirt. No, no, no. I kind of fake, you know, nice shirt, aftershave, fully shaven, hair done, everything. Full works. I decided flying to the States, a bigger gesture was needed. (laughs) It's like that scene in Step Brothers. What the fuck are you wearing at this tuxedo? Were you wearing a tuxedo? Not quite. I was wearing a full suit tie. The fucking works. My man. I also had three. Show up at Des Moines International. I also had $3,000 in cash in my pocket. This is important. This is real important. We'll get to it. It I think he's part of the mafia. (laughs) It all ties together with your question from a minute ago. (laughs) Why do you hate Chicago? Oh, Oh, God. (laughs) Looking a little too Italian there, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I get off the plane. I get through the whatever process it is. It's not immigration. Customs? Yep. And then I go to the wrong gate. Ooh. No, you did. Still, still in the UK, or is this when you get to Chicago? This is when I get to Chicago. Gotcha. All right. You've been through O'Hare. It sucks. Yes, I have. You also know how big it is. It's enormous. I went to the wrong gate. Oh my god! And there's a TSA guy at the gate. Just for the record, there's no flight leaving from this gate, so I have no fucking clue why there's a TSA guy there. Right. So. Can you open your suitcase? Yeah, sure. Goes through it. All right. Can you take your jacket off for me? Sure. I'm going to have you step in this room with me, sir. Okay. My heart uh, is just sinking. Oh, I just, my heart is racing. <laughs> at, at this point in time, I'm still kind of like, okay, I'm getting screened. It's okay. Sir, can you take your belt off? And all of a sudden, I'm like, uh, this ain't going anywhere good. This is not going anywhere good. No. Yeah, I got a cavity search at my TSA. Oh! Oh, right in the butt. So you want to know what my beef is with Chicago? Chicago... Mm. Mm. <laughs> Chicago's been inside you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the problem you have with Chicago. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much, and... They didn't eat, he didn't buy me dinner. There was no reach around, <laughs> there was nothing. So, yeah, no. Chicago, I, you know what? I get it. Bad things happened. I don't want to go back to Chicago. 
ever. Fair enough. Fair enough. Just, just because with my luck, I'll run into the same guy. But uh, yeah, I had the great idea that we were just going to be assholes. So we went to fucking Walmart. We mm-hmm. picked up an air horn. Yep. And some other shit. I yep. don't remember what all we we picked up, but we went around to like Dairy Queen, fucking McDonald's. Yep. We did the the fire in the hole at McDonald's, the classic where you take a you order drinks and you take that cup and throw it right back in the fucking window. <laughs> oh no. <clears throat> this is also terrible because I worked at McDonald's. <laughs> at that one? Not not oh, at okay. that one. That okay. would have been even better. <laughs> um, but, like, oh hi, Jack. So I worked I worked You just do it to your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I worked at the one in Stewart and That's the one right. in West Des Moines. And I was working at the one in Stewart at the time. And I actually had to run down to Creston to pick up product. <laughs> Literally at the fucking front desk was the dude that I threw the fucking cup at. Oh, I love it. I love it. Please tell me you had a mask on or something. No, oh, no, no. No. <laughs> no. I was like, God, I hope they don't remember me. So here's why we died. Almost died. Okay. <laughs> on the way home, we are fucking with drivers. It's pitch black. <clears throat> and we're like, we're going to turn our our lights off <laughs> you fucking behind idiots. behind cars right no okay. that, that was when we were in the the lincoln that was a different time oh was it yes okay the time that this I, guy was oh part- i remember okay yeah so this guy has his hood up and he's fucking with his car battery or whatever we got one more soda pop left <laughs> and we i mean like like a hall of fame mlb pitcher chuck it out the fucking window with this dude yep full bore we're going 60 miles an hour <laughs> this dude hits hits him right in the fucking chest and yell fire in the hole okay <laughs> and blow the air horn and blow the air horn we're a tiny bit the scared trifecta of this. We, yeah we get we're a tiny bit scared of this guy so we take some gravel roads and we take a big fucking square right and we get back to the highway and we're like, we definitely lost him. And he was broken down on the side of the road. Right. What are the chances all of a that sudden, he's going to come up behind us? All of a sudden, <laughs> this car, fast as shit, starts gaining on us, <laughs> passes us, immediately hits the brakes and blocks a lane of traffic. <laughs> he gets out with a, it was like a crowbar. It was like a crowbar. It, a yeah, baseball bat. Like a long crowbar. And we're like, nope, fuck that. Get in the left lane, go around him. Okay, this guy immediately gets back in his car, comes at us again. <laughs> this time he blocks both lanes of traffic. Yeah, he is literally like sideways in the fucking room. This fucking genius of a man, cool <laughs> as a cucumber, <laughs> puts it in the ditch, drives into the ditch and out back onto the road. In okay? my mother's Ford Taurus station wagon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Matt Freeze, who, mind you, was not yet smoking weed. This is a sober man, decided... You know what? We're in some trouble here. I'm gonna call nine one one. Yep. So yep. he gets on that. He, he gets on with nine one one, and they're like, "What's the issue?" And he's like, "We're being chased." And they're like, "Why is someone chasing you?" And Freeze just goes, "Uh," and then just hangs up. So I don't know. <laughs> we, we went. We didn't throw anything at him or anything. Yeah. One of the better days of my life. And also scary <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> <laughs>